it's good because we get to jump into this book of Deuteronomy. So we finished up Numbers, and Numbers took us on a journey from the Mount Sinai, where Israel was camped out for a year when they were receiving the law. Uh, and then they left Mount Sinai in the book of Numbers, and they began this journey right toward the edge of the promised land. And during that journey of over 40 years, we saw because of rebellion, because of a hard heart, because of unbelief in God, the whole generation that came out of Egypt suffered the fate of dying in the wilderness. And a new generation has now arisen, and they are now on the brink of the promised land. And what we find in the book of Deuteronomy is Moses conveying messages to this new generation. Now, as we saw last week and in the previous weeks, Moses is actually going to suffer the same fate as the generation that came out of Egypt because of Moses striking the rock and his disobedience uh, to God. Moses himself was barred from leading the people across the Jordan into the promised land. We saw where God allowed Moses to go up on top of the mountain and he allowed him to look over into the promised land. But Moses was told plainly that he would not be allowed to enter and that he would die in the wilderness as well. So what we have in Deuteronomy is Moses's final words to this new generation before he dies. And we're going to go through that. So uh, today's just going to be an introduction to the book. Uh, so give you some things to go over and think about and go ahead and start kind of reading into the book of Deuteronomy over the next couple of weeks while we're not together. But first of all, the title of the book, why do we call it Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy, as we've seen with other books, is a Greek term uh, coming from the words second and law. So literally interpreted, the name Deuteronomy means second law. Now, it's not another law that is being given to the nation of Israel. However, it is a second giving of the law that was previously given in the book of Exodus. So the name comes from Moses going through the law with Israel, this new generation of Israelites, a second time. Uh, the Hebrew title for it is Devarim, which means the words. Uh, and that's taken from Deuteronomy 1.1, where it says, These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So uh, as we've said before, our English titles... A lot of those come from the Greek, describing what happens in the book. Uh, the Hebrew titles are usually taken from the first part of the first verse of the book. Uh, the Greek title come, uh, came to be because the book does, not, um, does intend to reiterate many of the laws that we found in Exodus. So it's a second giving of the law. Specifically, the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. Those are quoted almost verbatim in the book of Deuteronomy. But the name Deuteronomy overlooks the true nature of the book. It presents itself as a series of sermons that review events described in the narratives that we have read earlier. And it's Moses giving challenges to the people in order to be faithful to the covenant. So unlike the portion of Exodus where it's just reading laws and reading laws and reading laws, it's Moses conveying the laws in almost a sermon form with not just the law itself, but the call to be faithful to the law. The call to even go beyond the law to love the Lord your God with all of your heart. 
So Moses is almost kind of a biography of what's happened. He starts with looking backwards at some of the events that, is, that have taken place and then the challenges to keep the law and then the laws as they are presented uh, and then his final words to the nation of Israel. So it's this law, and we'll look at you know, the, the covenant law in a moment, but it's this law, but it's given more in sermon form uh, in the form of Moses' speeches that he's given to the people. Now, of course, we've talked about Moses a lot, and uh, you know, the question always comes up. We don't address it every one because there's one common theme to these first five books of the Bible. But as far as who wrote the book of Deuteronomy, uh, of course, conservative scholars attribute the book of Deuteronomy uh, and the rest of the Pentateuch, the previous four books that we've looked at, to Moses. Uh, and there's no question that most of the source material in all of this comes from Moses. Now, did Moses sit down and write every word and come up with the, you know, the way things go and everything? We're not sure. Uh, this is oral tradition that had been passed down. Um, obviously, Moses wasn't there in Genesis 1-1. And obviously, Moses wasn't there in Deuteronomy 34 when he died. I doubt Moses wrote about his death after he died. So obviously, that there are uh, most of the material comes from Moses. We know Moses did write down a bunch uh, of material, but probably in the time of Joshua is when uh, all of these stories that had been written down were taken and compiled together uh, and presented in the forms that we have them today. Uh, but most, that's why we can say we attribute the Pentateuch to Moses because he was the main source of it. He was the main one that wrote these things down, even though if, even if he wasn't the final one that compiled um, everything. So according to the text, we know that the addresses of Deuteronomy were derived orally by Moses to Israel on the verge of crossing over to the promised land. And Deuteronomy 31 says that Moses immediately wrote these things down. Now, some of your more modern scholarship, some of your more critical scholarship uh, sees Deuteronomy not as a early writing, but as a later writing uh, during the reign of King Josiah. Uh, and there's a lot of evidence and arguments, but, you know, I love to hold to the simplicity and the fact that, you know, this material came from Moses. That's obviously how the Jews held it for many, many years, that Moses was the, the author of all this. Uh, and that's been the view of, you know, conservative Christianity for all of these years. So the purpose and the content of Deuteronomy. We know the title of the book is a second law or a second giving of the law. We know that it came through Moses. We know Moses spoke it and Moses wrote it down. So the purpose of this. Well, Deuteronomy is a very influential book. Um, arguably, possibly, one of the most influential books of the Old Testament. And what it does is it brings Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers to a climactic end. Um, and it summarizes what has happened up until this point. And most importantly, it portrays this idea of the covenant, the covenant that God has made. For when you go back to Exodus, remember we were at Mount Sinai, and God was giving them the law. He was giving Israel the law. And he was, in essence, making this covenant, marrying himself to the nation of Israel. And it was a covenant that was based on law. If Israel kept their part, God would keep his part. And so the purpose is to renew this covenant with a new generation. Because this generation 
wasn't there at the giving of the law. Uh, they were born in the wilderness. So they were not there during the first giving of the law. They were not there during the reading of the law. So this is a renewal of the covenant with this new nation of Israel as they stand on the verge of their promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy, as we previously mentioned, presents itself as a series of addresses by Moses to Israel immediately prior to their entrance into the land of Canaan and prior to Moses' own death. Moses' role in Deuteronomy is not so much as a strict lawgiver as it is a pastor. Moses is showing himself here as Israel's shepherd, the one that has led them. And his concern is not just judicial, that they keep the law. His concern is with their heart and how they love the Lord God and how they are faithful to him, not just to the law, but to Yahweh himself. So knowing that his death is imminent, like Jacob at the end of Genesis, like Joshua that will come in Joshua 24, and like Jesus when he talks to his disciples before his death, Moses gathers the congregation around him and he delivers this final speech, this final series of sermons. The texts he has left us are not to be read primarily as law, even though they are law, but as discourses on the implications of the Israelite covenant for people about to enter the promised land. So as a true prophet, as a pastor, he's concerned about their heart. As a prophet, he's concerned about their faithfulness to the law. So in the faithfulness to the law, he challenges them and declares to them that their faithfulness is of utmost importance that their faithfulness will determine how long they stay in the land, how blessed they will be in the land, how protected they will be from their enemies. So this is Moses as a true prophet challenges the Israelites to respond by declaring that God, Yahweh alone, is their God. And by demonstrating their unwavering loyalty and total love for Him through acts of obedience to him. So Moses is calling them and challenging this new generation. Basically, don't be like the old generation. And he mentions several times in the book of Deuteronomy, there's a choice before you. It's a choice of blessing and it's a choice of cursing. If you obey, you will be blessed and you'll live in the land a long time and you'll prosper in the land a long time and you'll be fruitful in the land a long time. But if you disobey, you will not live in the land for a long time. If you disobey, you will be kicked out of the land. If you disobey, you will not prosper in the land. If you disobey, then you will be barren in the land. So all of this has to do with the land that they are getting ready to enter. And their life in the land is determined upon their obedience to the law and their obedience to Yahweh as their covenant God. Um, and then Moses kind of gives them a spoiler alert at the end of the book that they will not always continue to be faithful in the land. But we'll look at that in a few moments. On the back of page one, um, 
the genre and the form of the book of Deuteronomy, to hear the message, we must recognize its form, how it's given to us, and its genre. At one level, Deuteronomy represents the final major segment of the biography of Moses that began in the first chapter of Exodus with our introduction to Moses there. Deuteronomy also is seen as a narrative with a series of lengthy embedded speeches. So there's a couple of ways to view. The first one is how we've talked about the book of Deuteronomy so far. That it's a series of speeches given, to Mo, given by Moses to Israel to this new generation before they enter the promised land. The second is reiterating that Israel is in a covenant with God. And so the basic structure of the whole book of Deuteronomy um, draws on history as a motivational tool, what God has done for them, and reinforces the commandments with the blessings and curses. And we talked about this a little bit when we were in Exodus, but I'll bring it back up because, you know, I don't expect us all to remember everything we talked about in the book uh, of Exodus. But what we find in Deuteronomy as far as laws, as far as the covenant with their God, as far as the blessings and curses, is not something unique to Deuteronomy. It's not something unique to the Israelites and the Jewish religion. What we find here in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Exodus, you know, when God gave the law, when he gave them the Ten Commandments, um, is an ancient Near Eastern treaty. And this would happen primarily between nation to nation. And the, the theological terms are the suzerain and the vassal treaty. Suzerain is somebody who's like a king. It's the more powerful nation. It's the powerful king. And then maybe neighboring this powerful nation, you have a lesser nation. That lesser nation would be known as a vassal. So what would happen is a king would go over to uh, the king of the smaller nation and he would say, look, I can overtake you in a heartbeat and I can come in and I can do away with you and I can rule your land. He said, but instead of that, let's make a covenant. You, the smaller nation, will show faithfulness to us, a larger nation. You will keep promises that you will make to us. You will be faithful to us. And in return, we will not overtake you. We will protect you from other enemies. We will provide for you. So these two nations, a larger one, the suzerain, and the lesser one, the vassal, they would enter into this covenant where the, the lesser would pledge their allegiance to the greater, and there would be promises and stipulations that they would have to keep. Maybe they would have to give a certain amount of crop. Maybe they would have to give a certain amount of money to the suzerain king. In return, if they were faithful, the suzerain would be faithful to hold up his end of the bargain for protection or um, material things, providing them what they need. Then, when they come to that agreement, there would be blessings and consequences. Here's what will happen if you're faithful to the suzerain nation. Here's what's happened if you're unfaithful. So there'd be blessings and curses. And this was a very common way of doing business in the old world, in the ancient world. And so what, what scholars have realized when they read the book of Exodus and when they read the book of Deuteronomy is that Exodus and Deuteronomy follows almost the exact pattern of this 
suzerain vassal treaty that was made in the ancient world. So what we're reading here, when you read about when God says, I am Yahweh, I am the God that brought you out of the, of the land of Egypt, um, he's introducing himself as a suzerain, as a king, as the greater. And he brings to himself a people, Israel, to be the vassal. So when you're reading this, there's, there's a way that it was put that re- reflects these ancient treaties. So reading on here, Yahweh is the divine suzerain. He's the king. He's the greater one. He graciously chooses the patriarchs and their descendants Israel as covenant partner, the vassal. He demonstrates his covenant commitment to them by rescuing them from Egypt. He enters into an eternal covenant uh, relationship with them at Sinai, revealing to them his will and providentially caring for them in the desert. And he is now about to enter the promised land, give the promised land into their hands. And so recognizing that this is an old covenant, this is an old treaty that was given is critical. So to kind of break down the sections of this, uh, the first five verses is kind of your introduction, kind of your title or, or preamble. To every old uh, ancient covenant, there was a preamble. Uh, someone who is introducing themselves, someone that is giving a little bit um, of the history as he explains an, an opening statement, if you will. Uh, and then you have what is called a historical prologue. Historical prologue goes into the history that you have with that nation. So the title in the preamble is your introduction. Your historical prologue is what has happened up until this point. Then you have in this covenant stipulations. Here's what you must do to live up to your end of the bargain. And what do we find in chapters 4 through 26? We find the retelling of the law and the laws that come out of of Exodus. And so we find these are the stipulations of the covenant that Israel must keep. With this stipulation, they can either be faithful or they can be unfaithful. So we have blessings and curses in Deuteronomy 27 through 30, we have a list of blessings and curses. So if you obey the word of Yahweh, you will be blessed in the land. You'll be blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed when you go in, blessed when you come out. Your children will be blessed. Your homes will be blessed. Your your gardens will be blessed. Your animals will be blessed. Everything will be blessed. If you're unfaithful, cursed will you be in the land. Curse will be, uh, curse you will be in the city, curse you will be in the field, curse will be uh, your family, curse will be your children, and all of these curses would be listed as well. And again, those are reflections of the ancient culture. And then um, at the end of your covenant, you would have witnesses. Usually the parties of the nations would be there to witness. And then you have several witnesses that are listed in chapters 31 through 34 of the book of Deuteronomy, when God says, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you this day. That is confirming the witnesses. So the form of Deuteronomy is one form, and one way you look at it is uh, pastorally with Moses giving these addresses to this new generation. And the other one is the reiterating of this covenant agreement that Israel's in. And this agreement is going to be the make or break as they go into the land. God is demanding obedience from his people. In, in response, God will bless them. He will protect them. He will prosper them. 
he will do all of these things. So uh, that's when you read the blessings and curses, you know why it's there. When you read the, the middle portion of the law, you know why it's there. These are the stipulations, and you can kind of see how this is laid out. In a similar way in the book of Exodus uh, chapter 20, when God gave the law, certainly doesn't cover the whole book of Exodus, but it does in Exodus chapter 20, uh, we find these elements as well. So just know Deuteronomy uh, is so important because it will carry over into the land for the next several hundred years as a make-or-break way of life in Israel. Now, as far as some of the content of what's going on and looking at you know, what's going on in each section, um, Deuteronomy is defined by these sections of speeches. Uh, you have three major sections of speeches from uh, Moses himself that he delivers on the plains of Moab as they're sitting there waiting to enter into the promised land. Uh, and then he committed these speeches to writing. So we know that Moses wrote these things down from chapter 31. Sometime later, these addresses were assembled. The narrative frameworks were composed for each speech. The pattern of addresses and narrative frames may be illustrated by follows. So you have the first address of Moses. What does Moses talk about first? Well, first of all, Moses in chapters 1 through 4, verse 43, recounts God's mighty acts on Israel's behalf from the time of the covenant at Sinai to this renewal ceremony at Moab. So the first thing he does for this new generation is he looks back to see what God has done. The second speech begins in chapter 4, verse 44, and you can take that all the way to chapter 26. It's kind of in two parts. But first of all, the first part of the second speech is comprised of a call to covenant faithfulness and a restating of the covenant law. So that's the two parts. In the first part, beginning in chapter 4, we find covenant faithfulness, that he's telling them, you know, I've set before you life and death. I've set before you blessings and curses. Choose life. Uh, and then going on into the middle section of the book is the restating of the covenant laws that were presented in Exodus 20-23. The Ten Commandments needed to be applied to the Israelites' new lives in the promised land. So just as Moses stood before the first generation and gave them the law, now he stands before the new generation and gives them the law. Hence the name second law, second reading Deuteronomy. The third speech is Moses' final address to the nation. He begins with the ritual curses and blessings of the law, dependent upon their covenant compliance. Then he charges the nation to be faithful in the future, and he formally commissions Joshua as his successor. Uh, the book closes with what we call the Song of Moses in chapter 32, the Blessing of Moses in chapter 33, and then the Burial of Moses, the Death of Moses in chapter 34. So first part, he's recalling God's faithfulness. Second part, He's giving them the stipulations of the law. The third part is the blessings and curses and then Moses' final words to the people, which chapter 32, and we'll look at it in a moment, but chapter 32 is not good news. Chapter 33, we have a blessing to Israel, and chapter 34 is the death of Moses. And hence, with the death of Moses, we come to the end of the Pentateuch. And, um, and here you see kind of another outline form as well, maybe summarizing uh, chapters 1 through 11, uh, Moses' opening speeches. 
The first speech is chapters 1 through 3, the story so far. Then chapters 4 through 11 is the second speech, Moses' call to covenant faithfulness. The second block is chapters 12 through 26, uh, continued a collection of laws. Um, chapters 12 through 16 is concerning Israel's worship. 16 through 18, Israel's leaders. And then 19 through 26, Israel's laws, the civil and the social laws that we find. Chapters 27 through 34, we have Moses' final speech and death. Chapters 27 through 30 gives the warning and the ultimatum. That's the blessing and curses. Chapters 31 through 34 is Moses' last words, a call to covenant faithfulness, a warning and a blessing. I, I want to go ahead and skip to the end because there's some things of interest and importance that I want to see. So if we go to chapter 30, if we go to chapter 30 of Deuteronomy, if you have a Bible with you, I want to go to the end first before we, in a couple of weeks, jump into the, the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy. In chapter 30, verse number 15, after he's given the, the blessings and the curses of the law, after this covenant is renewed, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 15, he says, See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments and statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away, and you will not hear, but be drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give them. So that's kind of a final word wrapping up this covenant of what he's done, where he is you know, reiterating to them, I've set before you this choice. Your obedience to this choice is going to determine whether you live and die, whether you live long in the land or you die prematurely in the land or you're exiled from the land. Then he calls heaven and earth as a witness against them to witness to this covenant and then encourages them to choose life that you and your offspring may live. So really, even in these just few verses here, you see all these elements that we've talked about. You see the element of uh, the covenant. You see the element of the stipulations. If you keep this, then you will do this. If you do not keep this, then you will not do this. You see the, the finality of a covenant where you call the witnesses together to witness this covenant. And then you see Moses as a pastor, as the father, if you will, of this nation, telling them and imploring to them to choose life, to be obedient, that you would live long in the land. So that wraps up kind of your, your two different sides that we've talked about, this legal side and this pastoral side of the book of Deuteronomy. However, if you go over to chapter 31 and verse number 29, 
you will see that even Moses anticipates things will not end well for Israel. So this is kind of like the downer. You know, you, you got the downer here. In chapter 31, verse 29, notice what he says. Moses says, For I know that after my death, you will surely act corruptly and turn aside from the way that I have commanded you. And in the days to come, evil will befall you, because you will do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger through the works of your hands. So Moses telling them, I'm telling you all these rules, I'm telling you all these, I'm imploring you to keep the law, I'm imploring you to be faithful, but I know that after I'm dead, you will not be. And I know ultimately, um, you will do what is evil. So you have this song of Moses in chapter 32. And just a couple of things to mention here in verse number, in chapter 32. If you go to verse number 20, 32 and verse 20, And he said, I, Yahweh, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be. For they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. Now that is an interesting phrase because it looks way ahead forward. First of all, he says, I will see what their end will be. So he's already declaring what's going to be the end of this old covenant nation of Israel. And then he says, for they are a perverse generation. These words come directly from Jesus. And from John the Baptist, when you come up to Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 3, in, in the parables of Jesus, in the words of Jesus to the Pharisees, oh, crooked and perverse generation. John the Baptist, you know, you, know, you crooked generation, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So Jesus uses this same language about the generation of his day in Israel when he came to Israel. For Jesus comes to Israel at the end of the Old Covenant age to bring forth the fruits from Israel. And guess what? He looks at Israel and he finds no fruit. He finds that they are faithless. And he finds they ultimately reject God by rejecting the Son and therefore pronounces judgment upon that generation. All of that, even what Jesus is doing in Israel. Remember a couple of weeks ago in one of the sermons uh, that I did on Sunday morning, I even mentioned that while Jesus' death and his burial and his resurrection was for everybody, a lot of his ministry was geared directly toward Israel. It was directly toward God's old covenant people. When Jesus said things like, I am only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. When he told his disciples, he says, go and preach in these cities. Do not go into the way of the Gentiles. Go to the Jews only. Uh, so he said these things. Why? Because Jesus is dealing with Israel covenantally based on their covenant that they make here. And it was reiterated here in Deuteronomy. And he sees them as a perverse and a crooked generation 
whom God's judgment is going to come upon. Where does that come from? Right here in Deuteronomy 32. A perverse generation, children who there is no faithfulness. So then what does Deuteronomy 32 verse 21 say? You've made me jealous with what is no God. You've worshipped other gods who are no gods. They provoke me to anger. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. You know what that is? That's the church. That's the Gentiles who will enter into a new covenant. What does Paul say in the book of Romans? He says that God will raise up the Gentiles that will provoke Israel to jealousy. Paul talks about exactly what Deuteronomy says here. Hosea talks about, he prophesies this new nation that is coming, this new people who were no people, but now they are called the people of God. That's the Gentile nations. That's the Gentile church. So tucked away in these little verses here in Deuteronomy, you find Jesus' ministry to unfaithful Israel and his judgment upon them. For Jesus says um, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus pronounces judgment upon that generation. All these things will come upon this generation. And so he talks about that generation. And then with the birth of the church, the gospel going to the Gentiles, the Gentiles being included as the people of God. When Jesus gave a parable saying the kingdom will be taken from you and given to a nation that will bring forth the fruits. When Paul says that God is, he's made me an apostle to the Gentiles to provoke Israel to jealousy. All of that was tucked away in these little verses here in the book of Deuteronomy. And so verse 29 of Deuteronomy 32, if you're still in 32, look at 29. He says, if they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. He's even telling them, you know, what's going to happen is he said if they were wise, they would discern what would happen at their latter end or, or literally in the last days of this old covenant nation. So I just find those little things interesting when you look in the New Testament and how we find, you know, these words here from Moses where Moses saying, please be faithful. However, I know you're not for I already know what the end is going to be. So with Jesus' ministry, with the calling of the Gentiles to make the Jews jealousy or jealous that comes out of the book of Romans, all of that is, is tucked away right here in the book of Deuteronomy. All right, now let's go to our last page on our, on our notes. One thing to look for is the heart of Deuteronomy. You find the word love here in the book of Deuteronomy more than you do every other place of um, the law. And because Moses is getting to the heart of the matter. For the heart of obedience has all, or the, the heart of obedience has always been the heart. Uh, you know, Israel, the first generation, rebelled because they had a hard heart. And so Moses here is imploring this generation to have a heart turned to God, to love God. So in the midst of this, when you go to chapter 6 of Deuteronomy, what's going to hold their covenant relationship together? is number one, God's covenant love for them. God's covenant, God has a covenant love for Israel. And in response, Israel was supposed to love Yahweh, love the Lord your God. 
So at the theological heart of Deuteronomy is the call to Israelites to faithful covenant love for Yahweh. And this is expressed in um, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Uh, 6, 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That is what is called the Shema. The Shema means the word here. And the Shema became a central piece of the nation of Israel. It's been called the fundamental dogma, the fundamental uh, aspect of the Old Testament. And even Christ identified the Shema as the most important commandment of all. When you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength. So he, even Jesus himself, listed the Shema here in Deuteronomy 6 as this is how the Israelites are to respond to God, loving them with all their heart, soul, and strength. And that was to be the mark of the Israelite in their covenant faithfulness to Yahweh. Uh, Deuteronomy and Jesus and Paul, we talked about a little bit of that, but this kind of just show, goes to show you how much Jesus talked about the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, it's all over Jesus' teaching um, to Israel in the Gospels. Judging by the number of quotations from Deuteronomy, this is Jesus' favorite book. He quoted from Deuteronomy more than any other book. Many are familiar with Jesus' quotes from the book of Deuteronomy when he was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. When Jesus was tempted by Satan, he rebuked Satan. He uses quotations from Deuteronomy in order to do that. And then at other times, when he summarizes the law and the prophets, what we just said, he said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbors yourself. Uh, when citing the Ten Commandments in his teaching, he uses these uh, uh, references from Deuteronomy. When he discusses divorce in Matthew and Mark, he quotes Deuteronomy, chapter 24. When defining uh, church discipline, he quotes Deuteronomy. When telling that man is to live by the word of God and to keep his word, he uses quotes from Deuteronomy. Uh, so Jesus quotes a lot from Deuteronomy. Paul repeatedly cites from Deuteronomy to support his teaching. And there you find some references in Romans and 1 Corinthians and one from Ephesians. And there's more that you know, I didn't add. Um, however, it's clear when you read Paul's writing that Paul interprets Deuteronomy not in the same way that Moses does in saying to be faithful to the covenant, of course, because Paul's writing to the church, who's not under the covenant here in Deuteronomy. But what Paul does is he interprets Deuteronomy and the entirety of the Old Testament in the light of Christ on the cross. So again, when we look at the book of Deuteronomy as Christians on this side of the cross, do we see it as a law given for us that we would live in the land and be prosperous in the land? Uh, no, that was their covenant. Uh, we see it through the light of Jesus. So at the end here, I put just kind of some highlights of interpreting the book of Deuteronomy when we're reading it. We've gone over this just about every book. Um, but first of all, we should read the book in the context that it is. As an ancient book, giving in an ancient world to an ancient people as an ancient treaty. We recognize this and we place Deuteronomy in the context of where it is. Not rip it out and you know, bring it over here to us, but we appreciate it for what it is. And that is this ancient covenant that God and Yahweh made with Israel that ultimately, as we've already seen, leads us to the church and to where we are today. And that's what the whole of the Old Testament is doing. It's leading us up to Christ. It's leading us up to our new covenant with Christ by showing us where we have been and tracing the history of redemption. Um, therefore, the middle part of that first 
paragraph. Therefore, number one, these laws are the terms of the Sinai covenant given to Israel, not to the church. Number two, we have to be careful not to compare, and this is something you'll hear a lot of critics and atheists and non-believers. They'll look at these laws and they'll compare them to today's time. So number two is be careful not to compare these laws in Deuteronomy to modern laws, but with laws of ancient Israel's neighbors. So a lot of times here's what we do, okay? The law says if you have a rebellious son, you can take him out and you can stone him. That's totally legal and fine. Um, Today, if you have a rebellious son and you take him out in the front yard and you stone him to death, you're probably going to jail uh, because that's illegal. Um, If I tried to sell my daughter into slavery to another family, I would probably get arrested for that today. Uh, But in those times, you could do that. So what the critics of the Bible, what, what they do is they take these ancient laws and they apply them to today in order to say... The Bible is, you know, whatever term they want to use, derogatory term they want to use. We would never do that today. The Old Testament condones slavery. It condones, you know, selling your your daughters. It condones this and this and this. And we compare it to today's time. uh, And therefore, they try to rip it apart and rip God apart in the process. However, like with every other ancient document, this is a world away from where we are today. There's no comparison to the ancient world than we are today in in laws and way of life and doing things. And so we have to understand Deuteronomy is an ancient book. These laws are ancient laws. Yes, it's God's word for, for all of us wrapped in this Bible. But in the context, these are ancient laws. When you take the laws of Yahweh in the ancient time, even though the way we do things may differ today, thousands and thousands and thousands of years later, if you take the law that's presented here in Exodus and Deuteronomy and you compare them not to today, but you compare them to the surrounding nations who had laws of how to treat one another, how to treat your poor, how to treat your slaves, how to treat your wife, how to treat your children, when you compare them to the other nations surrounding Israel, you'll find that there's a vast difference between these laws and the laws of the other gods, the laws of the other nations. Um, They are way ahead in terms of caring for the poor, way ahead in in social issues and justice issues. Yeah, there are some things we look at today and we say, oh, yeah, we wouldn't do that today. But compared to the other surrounding nations of these other pagan nations, God's law was different. It was more compassionate. It was more caring. It looked out for the downtrodden and the poor more than it did. It gave more rights to people than the other surrounding nations. So when you, when you, when you read this, you know, don't compare it to today. You can't do that. You know, we, we, we're, we're going through that in our nation today where we look at things that happened 50, 100, 200 years ago, and it's not the same time. We're not living in, in the same time, the same way here. Uh, so if, but in comparison to the other nations, God's law, there is a difference in care and love and compassion in God's law. And third, it's helpful to discern the core principles underlying the law. No, we may not keep the letter of the law as Christians in the church. Okay? The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Behind the letter of the law, there's the spirit of the law. And when we find the spirit of the law, 
There's a lot in Deuteronomy that we can bring forth. It talks about the character of God, that talks about compassion, that talks about love, that talks about faithfulness. So yes, while, while we're not obligated to keep the letter of the law as they were, what we find is that the spirit of the law behind these laws, you'll find things today that are very beneficial and we find in the new covenant. They just get done in a better way under the new covenant. Um, and then there's, there's just a couple of other, you know, interpreting everything through Christ. We talked about that. Christ is the ultimate fulfillment. Christ is the ultimate Moses that doesn't fall short of leading his people into the promised land. Christ brings us into our promised life of abundance and salvation. So the gospel shows us where Moses failed. The true Moses, the true deliverer, Jesus, succeeds for us. So there are some thoughts about Deuteronomy. So as you're reading, kind of look out for some of these things and uh, in these stipulations. Keep these things in your mind when you're reading them. Look for these covenant terms as you're reading. You know, when you're reading a section where Moses is explaining, think, oh yeah, this is part of what happened in the covenant. And I think you'll read Deuteronomy in kind of a, kind of a new way. I'm excited to get you know, into the details of Deuteronomy. So that's brief introduction today uh, on this last book of the Torah, the last book of the Pentateuch.